Welcome to a special edition of Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, as always, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hey, Mr. Hello. Siddons. Hello. Welcome to the mailbag. Happy holidays. <laughs> Happy New Year. Good to see you. It's good to see you, too. And, of course, Mr. Peter Crable. Mr. Craves, welcome back. Yeah, excited for this new segment here. Welcome as, to the bro pod. As Mr. <laughs> as Mr. Sins alluded to, uh, this is a special episode of Ed's Not Dead, which is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. So Mr. Sins has been uh, soliciting uh, questions for the three of us. Uh, it is a new <laughs> Ed's Not Dead special, the Ed's Not Dead mailbag. And so we're excited. We got some good questions, right? Some of them are a little bit, little bit rigorous, a little challenging. Yeah. Originally, I thought I thought he was just going to read us the questions and then we'd answer them off the cuff because I thought they'd be like, "What's your favorite color?" Um, but then, <laughs> then he like he sent one. I was like, "Oh, okay." I yeah, well, that's, I need to read that beforehand. <laughs> that's why. That's why in the group text two hours ago, I said, "Are we going to see the questions?" I sense that they. I, I just thought you'd. I thought you'd be. You'd all be into like a little bit of risk taking. Yeah, I, I. I was, but the questions are hard. They're so are, hard. All right. Are these, are these multiple choice? Thank you to our listeners for uh, sending these via Twitter and other ways. Right? You. You. you did you get most of them on Twitter, Mister? Twitter, Sims? LinkedIn, Facebook. Okay. I put out. A, I put out a Google form. I got a whole bootload. So. You put out a Google form. I did. I tried to get, I tried to like capture a, many different. Like a true millennial. <laughs> I'm going to send out a Google form. To catch, <laughs> do a sur- do a survey monkey, Casey. <laughs> I'm going to do a survey monkey. That would be my lane. <laughs> no, you do it on Microsoft Word. I would. I would. You know what? I don't say, I don't say PowerPoint anymore. I've oh, broken, my, I've broken myself with that. Good I do you. say, I do say slideshow. All right. I, you know it, what I really love is when people call it a slide deck. I've never said slide deck. I, it's, it's a thing that people use. I'm going to put the slide deck into the chat. That's, yeah, I, haven't, that, I haven't graduated to that yet quite yet. That, that's too sleazy. <laughs> Wait, did I say sleazy? <laughs> you said sleazy. <laughs> Bear watch. Bear watch. I'm not sure why. Where, where, but okay. <laughs> I have no idea where that word came from. I apologize. <laughs> I might have been thinking of something else. Anyway, but before we get into... The mailbag, uh, fellas, two notable passings that I have to bring up. I think I think they'll both be interesting to you. One of each will probably be more interesting. Um, Mr. Crable, any thoughts on the passing of Hall of Famer John Madden? Yeah, it, in in some ways, I mean, he'd been out of the public eye for so long that it wasn't like somebody that. I mean, as much as like you feel a connection with a commentator, whatever that means. I mean, he'd been gone. I, I couldn't even tell you when the last game he did 20 years ago, maybe something like that. 2000, 2008 or nine. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But I do have a lot of childhood memories for sure. Uh, of you know, watching games and watching, you know, Washington, then Redskins uh, games and all that. So, you know, it's, it's a shame and definitely an icon in the, in the sports world. Definitely an icon. Um, I, I feel like his, his influence was kind of paralleled my life. And I was curious for your generation, Mr. Siddons, um, he captured a whole nother generation through Madden, through the video game. And, uh, and yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure you played Madden, but you are a millennial video game player. Yeah. Oh yeah. We played Madden growing up. I was never good at it. So I played NFL blitz. 
<laughs> was that on Sega or was that on uh NFL Blitz was like people who couldn't handle like the intricacies of like actual Madden and uh it, you could do like crazy things like like magical tricks and stuff like that that were really know. not really possible but it it was fun um you do yourself a favor uh and go watch NFL films on the 1976 Raiders team the Raiders. Um, yeah, they that was that it's a it's a Lawrence Fishburne is the narrator and it is really well done. All right, Mr. Siddons, question for you. Thoughts on the passing of the late great Senator Harry Reid? Oh man. Uh so I, I read um an obituary from him from the from Nevada, from a Nevada newspaper just yesterday, and I was like struck by where he came from. I mean, he came from just like abject poverty searchlight nevada searchlight nevada and uh i mean just uh i mean whether you agreed with his policies or not i mean he was a force to be reckoned with and when you look back at how contentious obamacare was it makes you know today's political fights look like nothing really because uh they, they it was a hard fight right up to the very end there and his achievement which i had forgotten was christmas eve 60 out of 60 Yep. Which, which may never be done again. Never. Based, based on the way politics are now, right? It's wild. It's wild. Uh, uh, 60, they, they were, they had, uh, what was the guy from Florida, um, Senator from Florida who was going to be signed on and they had him in separate rooms, two, two senators who were on the fence. It's fascinating that the stuff that comes out and how they deal with that or how they dealt with it, at least at the time. I think the three of us were together at a middle school when, uh, Judge Roberts came out with the ACA decision, right? Supreme Court, weren't we? That we was were. 2012. It was 2012. Was, we got the CNN yeah. alert. I remember. Yeah. Forget it. And we were yeah. together in the conference room. It's the yeah. summertime. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, I thought I would mention uh, passing of those two notable figures. All right, let's get into the mailbag. You are first up, Mr. Siddons. All right, this Robbie, this one's for you. It's specifically addressed to you. I don't know who, which high school student this is, but we need maybe we need to find out. Uh, they didn't leave their name, but they said, "Why do you think it's important for students to have to take courses like science, English, etc., as requirements? And why can't students just take courses that they want to take throughout their time in, in school?" Well, thank you for that question. Um, that is a question that honestly, I don't think I've ever really put much thought into, uh, especially since. I am not a dyed-in-the-wool high school educator. Um, I've never, I went to high school, never taught in one, um, never really worked in one until I became the principal of one. So um, I, I think that there's some agreement probably about the importance of um, some, some, some learning that is timeless, uh, quantitative learning. Uh, in math and science, I think uh, has a lot of importance for how the human brain works and how people think. Um, and then I think being able to read, write, and speak um, are also critical. And I think they have a lot to do with how, um, how one makes their way in the world. So I think English, math, science, history um, are, are all important because they, I think, I think they make your brain grow, grow bigger. Not that, not that pursuing subjects of interest or electives, whether it's the arts, physical education, 
engineering, you name it, all of those things make you smarter also. Um, but I think there are some, going back to the, the days of probably before the Greeks, there are agreements about what's, what is important for humans to, to learn about. Yeah. I th- I think so I, I'll, ju- I'll just, def- I'll defer to Aristotle. How ah, I like that. That's good. That's good. Go, go, go to Aristotle. He wrote, <laughs> he, he wrote very persuasively about. It. I guess there's an argument to be made that uh, that you can garner student interest that they might not know they have. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I think that too. And I think I think each subject, if you look at it from a disciplinary perspective, has a, it makes you think in different ways. Um, and so I think that that kind of disciplinary approach to thinking is is important. Yeah. Um, and I think so, I think part ahead. of it, too, um, if you, we had a discussion a year ago, maybe on the purpose of school and kind of fourth and maybe fifth you know, reasons for school. And one of those reasons was creating good citizens. Um, and I kind of go back and forth on this one where, you know, at times I definitely think that students should be able to drop, you know, fill in the blank that they don't, that they no longer have any interest in. But, you know, the hallmark of a, of a liberal arts education is a well, well-rounded and well-educated individual in many different areas who's able to contribute to society in general. Right. You don't have a bunch of like super siloed people that are completely ignorant of other ideas, subjects, anything like that. So that's kind of what now, I do. I, to. Do, do I think our subjects are too siloed? Yes. Uh, you guys know I'm a, I'm a fan of interdisciplinary learning. I, once upon a time, I sicked Mr. Crable on that. Um, yeah. and, 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 <laughs> as well as you, Mr. Siddons. I did that, right. to both of you. I did mm-hmm. that to both of you in different ways. Too. <laughs> um, so I think that's another way. I, I, I mean, I do wish our disciplines were more related to one another. Um, for the sake of learning, I, you know, I would just answer, I, I would also say to our, our question asker, um, our inquirer, it's funny, Crabes. I never even thought for a second about making people better citizens. I, I've never really viewed school that way. All right. Thank you, Dr. Dodd. This one, this next one is for Mr. Crabes and it's from Don on Twitter. It looks like he's from Seattle. He says, hi, Don I'm from Seattle. Don. I'm a new somewhat administrator. I don't know what that means in a middle school. What strategies do you have for how to help my teacher leaders become better? Uh, and he was talking about some of his department chairs. Yeah. Well, thanks, Don from Seattle. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it. So I think it's going to sound kind of cheesy, but um, you know, I think listening is probably the best and biggest skill in terms of developing any sort of teacher leaders, department chairs or not. And part and parcel with that is asking questions and asking difficult questions. So one, one like guiding, guiding principle that I go back on and got from the venerable Dr. Dodd many years ago uh, <laughs> when I was department chair working for him and he described you know, department heads is basically be mini principles and mini principalships. And really, I think telling people that um, empowers them to feel like they make a difference, like they have autonomy, to feel like they have lots of influence. I I even tell um, a lot of department leaders that I work with that oftentimes I feel like I had more influence over what happened in classrooms as a department head than I do as an administrator. You're just closer to the work. You're closer to the kids. You're closer mm-hmm. to the planning. You're closer to everything. 
So I think when going back to what I said before about asking questions and then listening is um, really asking like what what is their vision for their department or their team? What do they want to have happen? If they could wave a magic wand and make something happen tomorrow, what would it be? Because a lot of times they're like, well, what's your vision, you know, for your department? And that's, uh, you know, I don't know. Some people may have a vision, but sometimes you just got to ask the right question where they're telling you what their vision is and what they foresee for their department without actually asking that, you know, right. that's kind of like the magic wand question. And once they tell you what that is, then you say, okay, well, let's start working backwards. Now we know what we're working towards. Let's put together a plan. Let's put together professional development. Let's put together you know, um, how often you're going to go into classrooms. What is planning going to look like? What do the planning documents look like? And going back from there. And I think the other last thing I'll say is um, I have a way that I want things done and I have a way that makes sense to me. But taking my way of doing things and telling somebody this is how you do the job unless they have the exact same like brain functionality as you, then it's not going to work. Right. So you need to be able to accept that their way of doing things may be different than your way of doing things. And as long as in the end it's equally effective and comes out, that's fine. Um, and that can be hard to do, certainly as an administrator, when you're like, oh, just do this or just do this. And it can be difficult to sit back and, and just kind of watch them go through the process and even, you know, it, sometimes make mistakes. But if you're really invested in someone, um, you stick with them, you keep asking them those questions, you keep letting them work through their process and the things that they want to achieve so that you get to the end result eventually. How do you, uh, how do you view, like, I'm sure you have folks that you've worked with in the past where they're, they're focused on the operational aspect rather than the, the teacher coaching aspect. How do you approach that? I mean, it's, Does that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the same sort of thing with, um, teachers and students, you know, it's like, you're not a, you're not a computer who just spits out information, you know, teaching's a people business, um, and leading teachers is also a, pe- a people business. And I think that's something that I, you know, I speak to myself personally, I really didn't know five years ago, 10 years ago, you know, I thought it was definitely all about like what you knew, but it's really, you know, it's like an HR job, um, in terms of like people dynamics, personalities, conflicts, things that go well together, things that don't go well. You know, it's all about managing personalities and putting people in the right positions to be successful. So I think just knowing that, that it's a people business and that you always come back to that this is, you know, you're coaching people, not not ideas, not spreadsheets, not flowcharts, you know, just kind of always coming back to that. Right. That That's why I was so fascinated, Mr. Craves, about... Um, <laughs> John Madden in that 1976 NFL films piece said exactly what you just said. Um, with those Raiders teams, he allowed his players to have personalities. Um, he didn't, he didn't dictate that they had to, they had to stick to the game plan, but they could play the way they wanted to play. They could act the way they wanted to act. And that he also didn't treat every player the same way. The one thing I was going to ask you that I think is tricky Um department chairs, resource teachers, whatever you want to call them, are often caught between the classroom and the principal or the administrator. And and at times, um, they get the position because they were the best teacher in the department. Um, But they still, they, they have to coach, they have to lead people that are often their friends, their colleagues. How, How do you help 
department leaders kind of thread the needle interpersonally, relationally with that? I think one thing that I strive for, and I, I hope that I do, I feel like I do it a lot, probably not 100% of the time, but is to always treat people with humanity and to tell the people that lead others to do so as well. You know, I'm, I'm not one to degrade people. I'm not one to make people feel bad about themselves, to make them feel less than. I just don't think that that's a way to get the best out of people. And so I think for when you're leading teachers um, that you, and when you're coaching people who are leading teachers, you know, you really give them the space and say, you know, you may have some difficult conversations and it's okay. You can still treat people respectfully. You can still treat people with dignity in the same, like I'm listening to you as you're telling me whatever it is, you know, that you like or don't like, you can still do that to people um, in terms of like, this needs, you know, work on this. We need to work on that and and listen to what they have to say about it. Because sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're not right. A lot of times, you know, you have great ideas and they work out well. And sometimes you have great ideas and they don't. And so giving people that the same sort of freedom, but, you know, telling them to expect at times discomfort and um, it's just part of it. I don't particularly love discomfort and I don't particularly love conflict. You know? No, uh, we, yeah. we actually, it's the E word. It's, it's, a, it's emoting. That's why you're good at it. That's why you're good at it, Mr. Crazo, because you don't, you know, I think some leaders would immediately kind of go to that emotional interpersonal entry point. I think, I think your dispassion sometimes is, is, is a help because you don't, you don't really get caught up you can help someone not be overly caught up in that, stay in that space. Yeah. And and that's the space they go to when somebody they've worked for, worked with for five years who now won't do what they (laughs) want them to do. And it's, it's a, it's a very complex thing and they respond personally. They take things personally. Um, I think you're the perfect person to kind of move them away from that spot. All right. Ready, Mr. Sids. Yes. Speaking of, teacher specialists you're the you're the um you're the teacher specialist on the pod so are you ready for a question from elena from california let's hear it all right next year elena will be working part of her day with many new teachers who are new to the craft but are career changers what kind of advice do you have for her to best support these folks as they start out that's a tough one. I think um, I love hearing that people are changing careers to teaching. First of all, I think it's awesome. I think that uh, a lot of people realize that they're not getting a lot of joy out of their their work, and they think that, and they hope that teaching could be that career. And I always found it that way. I get a lot of joy out of teaching, and um, I think the toughest part is the realizing the amount of stuff that you have to do on any given day and kind of compartmentalizing that and planning far out. Um, the, the folks I've worked with who are successful in, in their career chain, being a career changer, um, I found it very helpful to, to kind of be a, a sounding board as we start out and, and being there and, and listening to their concerns and um, seeing that, you know, schools aren't always the most well-run organization. So if they're coming from like a a corporation that runs really smoothly or whatever, maybe that's not what you should be expecting. Um, so, so I, I don't mean to set the bar low, but at least 
being ready for that. Um, the second thing is sometimes career changers come in with, with, you know, established families and they have, um, ways in which they raise their kids and they have a, a way, an idea of how their kids should act. And when you have 30 middle schoolers in a, in one classroom, that doesn't always work that way. So, um, I think one of the things that I found to be very successful is, is, um, cause a lot of those, those career changing tracks, they kind of speed through a lot of the courses you take, especially things like classroom management. So um, one of the things that I've found what would, was helpful for folks is having a classroom management plan. And I actually helped a couple of teachers. I devised it a couple of years ago where we um, charted out all the things that you have to think about or you should think about. And we went through bit by bit, like what what's important to you? What kind of things do you think kids need to be ready for based on the level of, of whether it was high school or middle school and, and just being planned in advance to get ready for some of the things that might be coming their way in the next couple of weeks. And I think one, one thing I'd like to add too that can be especially difficult, I think for career changers is if, even if you're like mid career, you know, you might've come from a, a different industry where like you've been successful and you might've been successful for a long time. That's a good point. You know, and you're changing because you want something else. You don't feel like whatever your reasons are. I think, you know, I think it would be hard. Like if I were to change careers right now and like essentially take a demotion and not be as good as my, at my new job as I was at my old job, I think that'd be, that'd be really difficult for like my ego to take. That's a major really, ego hit. Yeah. It'd be really difficult for me to like stick with it through the difficult times when I'm like, man, Am I doing like a lot of self-doubt, I guess, and asking my question if I'm really doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So being prepared for that and to help people work through those feelings of like, yeah, like you, you were highly successful professional, but it's going to, it may take a little bit of time, months, a year, a year and a half, whatever, to get to that level of where you, your expectations for yourself are. Yeah. Well said. I, I also think, um, I mean, there's a certain there's a certain mystique or mythology about changing careers to become a teacher and the social impact that you imagine you're going to have. Um, you're going to mentor all these kids. Yeah. And I, and, and you know what, I would not, I, I am not sitting here dispelling that in any way, shape or form because it, it, it it's true. I mean, it's, 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 it's a, it's a thing um, that impact, but I, I would just, I, Elena, I might help them work through that, that the impact or how it unfolds may not be how they expect. Um, And and expectations can lead to disappointment and, and, you know, you have to be in the moment and, and kind of accept things for how they are. Uh, Like you're saying, Mr. Crable, as you learn how to teach. And Crable, I didn't didn't even think about the fact that like they're, you know, they're in these mid-level positions perhaps, and they're coming in as a successful person elsewhere. And then they, that's a major ego hit to, to watch a lesson fail, you know, like watch it go down the tubes. And you're like, you know, that feeling where it's like, Oh no, this is terrible. Um, and well, this I, is bad. <laughs> this is bad. You, know, you realize it like the first five minutes. And then I was also thinking like as a 22, 23 year old first year teacher, I didn't have any kids. I didn't have any obligations. I could stay there. I can get there early. I can stay late. I can do all that stuff. Whereas maybe it's not as possible to. So, so being well-planned and organized is going to be crucial. Make no bones about it though. When, when you have that, when you have that awful lesson, it doesn't matter whether you're 22 or 42, it's the same feeling. Yep. It's, it stinks. Yep. 
Um, yes. All right. Good, good job, Mr. Sitz. Thank you, Elena, for the question. Moving on. All right, Dr. Diz, this next one is for you. It's from Nanette in Arizona. She said that she got connected with us after our interview with Kathy Hoffman a while back. Dear Robbie, big fan of the pod. I know you've said that you've been a principal at all three levels of public education. What is the major difference between the levels and what is the biggest similarity? Oh, that's, that's a hard one, Nanette. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the pod. Um, we appreciate your fandom. Uh, yes, all three had no such plan starting out. Um, it just kind of has unfolded that way. And um, I should point out, Nanette, that I only knew one of them going in. So one out of the, <laughs> the only one, the only 33%. one. I was prepared, uh, yeah, I was, I was only prepared for a third of the principalships. Um, I was not trained as a secondary educator. Um, I, I think uh, the primary difference is something that uh, Peter referred to earlier, which is um, the, the closeness or lack thereof to the work. At the elementary level, um, I, was, I felt very connected to teaching and learning, to classroom planning, to kids in the classroom. I, imagine, Nanette, that every summer um, when I was an elementary school principal, we were still back in the days of uh, what we called articulation cards, where in the spring, um, let's say the third grade teachers would take the articulation cards and create next year's fourth grade classes. Well, that summer, I would put all those classes out on the conference table in my uh, conference room, and I would <laughs> I would review them, let's say, and I would make my own changes as I <laughs> saw fit. Um, that's how hands-on I was. I knew the wow. kids. I knew the teachers' personalities. I knew what parents wanted. I just should say we don't honor parent requests. Um, uh, but, but that's, I mean, that was how close to the work you can be as an elementary principal. Um, you know, at the high school level, there's no such closeness. Um, now you can get to know kids and you can certainly be as close to teaching and learning as you can find time to be. Um, but it, it is really, you're, you're much more of a um, sharer of information at the high school level. I, I get a tremendous amount of information from the organization itself and then from the school system. And my responsibility is to make sure that all that information gets to the right places. That's really what I spend most of my time doing. A lot of it is, I mean, information could be a proxy for politics. Um, it's really political in a lot of ways. Um, the middle school environment is kind of somewhere in between. Um, it's, you know, it's just that it's just that in between. I, I, I would say another difference is at the high school level with over 200 staff members, you're not developing one team. I felt like when I got my whole elementary staff in the media center, we were a team, the whole staff. There was, I could develop the staff as a team at the high school level. The teams that I spend most of the time developing are my administrative team and my leadership team, because I've got to work through those folks. Um, I could have a direct person-to-person -person impact. I'm pointing at Casey right now with a third grade teacher. 
I could go to third grade planning meetings and say, don't teach Sarah plain and tall or I'll fire you. Um, that, that, that's the kind of influence I could have. Um, the same, um, how they're the same. I, I, I would, I would again, go to my distinguished colleague, Mr. Craves. It's, it is, it's a people business. You've got to know what make people, makes people tick. You've got to understand their motivations, um, motivate them, uh, give them feedback, incentivize what they do, all those things. It's, it's, it, that, is, that is the same across organizational types. Um, I think the primary difference is, you know, sometimes at the secondary level, that impact that I have on teaching and learning, I just don't feel it as much as I used to at the elementary level. That was Makes a very, very long answer. Well said. Well said. All right. This next one is for Mr. Krabs. It actually was addressed to all of us, but I'm going to direct it at Pete. Uh, this year and last year has been extra tough on teachers and students. And I'm thinking about finding a new career. I'm feeling burnt out from teaching. What should I do? Yeah, it has been a challenging two years. There's no question about that. Um, but you know, I mean, for everybody and um, for this individual as well, I mean, you know, why did you get into teaching in the first place? Like what drew you to it? Was it the kids? Was it the schedule? Was it the interactions? Was, you know, what was it? And hopefully for, for most people out there, it's because they like working with kids. Mm-hmm. And I think when I'm feeling stressed or burdened or burnt out or whatever, you know, finding moments in the day where I can, um, you know, I don't know, I can be a weirdo <laughs> and with kids and joke around and have fun. There, and... There's like a weird pause there too. <laughs> but we all know that it's, it's true. It's true. It is true. Just be yeah, goofy. Sorry. Yeah. Just yeah. be, yeah, you know, be, be lighthearted and fun mm-hmm. and have a good time and you know, whatever. And it can be really challenging. Um, for teachers, I know to do this, you know, I think in the last two years, the biggest change from what I can tell is just more is asked of teachers in terms of um, academics and testing and social emotional and navigating friendships and adolescence and, you know, pubescence and hormones and, you know, a lot of stuff that it kind of like is always the job, but um just feels like a lot coming back. So I think finding those reasons why you did and going back to them and, and, you know, giving yourself a break every once in a while too, this will shock Casey and Robbie, but not doing work at times, (laughs) making sure that you have a life outside of school, because I think, um, you, I've learned from you from that. I've done a lot better. And, you know, and I, I think, and I, I will only speak for myself in this. I, I literally have no clue if, if this, anybody else does this, but like, part of the the thing that really helps me is that even like if I'm in the midst of something work-wise, it kind of consumes your brain, right? And you're thinking about it and you go home and on the ride home and it's, you're still thinking about it and it's at dinner and you're still thinking about it. Having other things to think about, you know, other hobbies, other interests, whatever those are for you. And then in the middle of the day, you're just like, yeah, let me think about that instead. It's almost like it gives your brain a break and it gives yourself a break so that you're not just like perseverating and looping on the same things over and over again 
which in my opinion leads to increased burnout because you have nothing else going on. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, for, again, for me, it's just like other finding other things that you can do as well, like still doing your work, still doing your job, but you know, having it not consume you at, at the, at the risk of offending our, our partner, Mr. Krebs, I'm going to say something just <laughs> so terrible. Oh, no. uh, you, you referenced the word job and you know, a computer programmer can say to himself or herself themselves when they have a bad day, well, you know what? It's just a job. But for some reason, educators aren't allowed to say that. Sure. Um, we're, we're, and I understand why, because we're dealing with people's kids and, and it's critical. But I would say I, there have been a lot of times in the principalship where I've had to say to myself, you know what? It's, it's a job. And you can't control everything. Correct. You can, and it doesn't define who you are. Um, it's a part of who you are. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I fall back on that one a lot because it just, you know, it just reduces the importance of it a little bit so you can, you know, feel sane. Yeah. Well said. I've learned a lot from, from you, Mr. Krabs, I must say. Thanks. <laughs> All right, Dr. Dodd, you want to read the last one? Oh, am I it? Am I up? Yeah. All right, you ready, Mr. Sids? All right. Uh, this next one is to you, CH Sids. It's from uh, I hope I don't want to mangle Niessa's name. I think it's Niessa in Wisconsin. Um, Casey, uh, I'm a teacher and department chair in Hennepin County, not too far from the folks you interviewed from. Manitonka back in season one. Whoa. Manitonka. That's a throwback. Uh, She has been listening since season one. And I'm looking to find out how to use my district's observation system to help my teachers. I know you've talked a lot on the pod about your experience with observations. What advice do you have to make observations actually have an impact on teachers? Great question. That's that's a great question. Uh, I think one of the things I've, I've figured out over the years is like, obviously we do a lot of informals and formals. Like that's the two major buckets. I always found as a teacher, the informal observations were always more helpful to me because it was like quick. And I got the feedback back in my hands in a, in a relatively short amount of time. And it was specifically tied to a specific lesson that I, I knew I needed to work on. So I think I, th- I my belief personally, is that informals can do a lot more good in terms of moving a teacher's, an individual teacher's practice. I think the formal observations are tricky because they're very technocratic. They're very, um, depending on what, I guess, depending on what system you're using, they're very, they have to be by the book and they have to go by a specific procedure and, and things like that. However, I, I think if, if it's tied to like standards, if it's tied to something that's very clearly measurable in terms of like what a teacher does and its impact on kids, uh, I go back to the uh, quote that I stole from Kelly Phillips, our friend Kelly Phillips, being clear is kind. And if you are clear with people and if you're straight up with people and if you are, you know, very clear and ex- with your expectations and with the expectations of the observation and um, how they're being, how folks are being measured and evaluated as, as we go back to that being a people business. Like it's, a, we're working with humans. I think if we're upfront with all that information, all that stuff ahead of time, uh, you know, being clear is kind. 
And when you talk to teachers about their practice in an, even in a formal way, I try to, I always say my, I I'm stealing my own quote. I, I've developed it over the years. It's like every observation is like a piece of your teaching puzzle. Like it's a big jigsaw puzzle and every single observation you do informal or formal is a, is a piece of that puzzle. And it shouldn't define you, even if it's doesn't look as good on paper necessarily. You have quoting, something to say, Craig. Quoting, quoting yourself. Nice. I did. I did. I, I threw it out there. But, but I, I've been using it recently, and it's, yeah. I feel like it, it explains it well for people, where it's like people get freaked out about one formal, and it's like that's not – of course, a formal is important. And an observation sometimes gets people anxious. But every little piece, every observation is just a piece of your teaching puzzle. It's just one lesson. And I think that there's the one thing, and then um, Robbie, you can go is like, you can have the greatest feedback in the world, but if people don't hear you or can't hear what you're saying because of how you say it or for whatever other reason, it's useless. Yeah. So like for me, I'm, I tend, uh, again, this will surprise you. I, I tend to go towards the critical by nature uh that's human that's humans brains are designed to do that and and it's more because like even for myself i'm like oh i could do that better i could do that better i could do that better and i just don't spend a lot of time on the like i mean i guess sometimes you're like oh that was so awesome (laughs) but one thing you know i found is that if for many people not everyone but for many people and this is getting back to knowing who you're working with you know giving them praise about what went well and everything so that if you really want them to hear the feedback of what they need to work on is that they're primed and you prime their brain to be able to hear and listen. You haven't activated their amygdala so that they're like fight or flighting um, and they can hear you. Um, so I think that's just one thing for, I wanted to add. Yeah. Well said. I would, I would just add that. Um, and I don't know, Casey may disagree with me on this, but it's, it, it might just be 28 years of laziness. Um, but I've also learned over the decades that um, you put something in writing and it, 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 it triggers people. It, it either makes them feel like they're the greatest thing in the world, or they seize on the part that is constructive feedback or criticism. Um, I think there's a place to have conversations about teaching without anything in writing. Yeah. Um, I think, I think most professional growth systems are writing documentation heavy um, and I, some of the best, I think, I think probably what I do best with teachers is talk to them about teaching. Yeah. Um, and, and I think you can, to your point, Mr. Krabs, you can get at all of that other stuff that you can't control once you put word to paper, Yep. because they're, then they're going to take from that paper, whatever they want to take. But when you're in that dynamic of having a discussion that to me is is where the magic can happen in moving someone. Can I also mention one thing that Robbie I feel like informs my view on on how school leaderships school leadership teams could run is uh, one year we did like a three year run of like hyper focus on differentiating instruction professional development like we went all out if you recall and then I don't know if it was, I, don't, I don't recall I well don't, and, and, yes I do recall. Well, there, I don't know if it was the first year or the second year, but there was a year that changed my view of formals where 
you expected everyone to every formal has to had to have one claim about differentiating either in standard one or standard two, one of the standards. And, and Kelly and I be, are still, Kelly and I are still fighting about what standard it falls under. But go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I th- that's the thing. It could land under a number of different standards. If you look at the national board, professional teaching standards, like it, it could land on a number of different ones. Right. But the, the point of it was, the, the thing that struck me so much was that, okay, we're, we're developing people, we're supporting people as much as we possibly can with the people we have in this building to reach kids. And we're, we're showing like in a lot of ways, the ways that it's positive in, in the, the formals that we're writing for, for teacher practices. And I thought it was a, a, a way to show that formal observations are not just a checklist of things. It's something that's informing our work. So yep, totally agree. Totally agree. Um, all right. Uh, thank you to our. I, I have one more. Dr. Oh, you did, oh, you did I, I have one more. Okay. It was addressed to all of us, but I'm not going to answer it because I have no clue. Um, it's another anonymous one. If someone gave you $500 tomorrow, what two teams are you going to put your money on who are making it to the Super Bowl this year? Oh, um, <laughs> Five $500. What two Someone teams? just gave you 500 bucks and you had to put your money down on these two teams making it to the Super Bowl. I'm going Packers, Packers, Chiefs. Ooh. I'm, I'm picking chalk, kind of. That's kind of wimpy. What do you say, Mr. Graves? Pick something. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll go Rams. Oh, that's a good one. And. Uh, Patriots. Uh, Whoa. Let's go. Rams Patriots. Uh, yeah. That's a that that's a repeat three years ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. That. yeah. That's good. All right. That's a good, good, good anonymous question. It makes me happy to throw some. <laughs> you know, I've always every you two know that I've always not so subtly tried to turn the education podcast into a sports podcast that's really, that's really what i'd rather be talking about just slowly moving into that direction so the next mailbag send in the sports questions yeah. I will, all right all right I'll, I'll answer them i'll um, add another category on the google form unrelated education questions <laughs> mr siddons thank you for uh gathering the questions from our loyal listeners uh, yes. I, I was so um, I was so impressed that Niesa has been listening since season one. That we got a lot of diehard listeners, I must say. Yeah, that, that's that's pretty awesome. I would, I, I gotta say, I'd be down to do this again. I mean, we only got to, I think, a fraction of the questions, so that's right. We can. <laughs> is that a, is that a show lie or is that true? <laughs> no, no. Yeah, I, there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, are there? I had okay. to go through them. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, then let's do it again because think, it's. Were there like forty or fifty questions, Casey? Yeah, something like that. Forties. Whoa. Yeah, see, that's what I'm saying, man. We only only got like six. Well, I mean, he didn't share them with us before the freaking mailbag show. So how am I? Yeah, Yeah, because I didn't think you needed them. I thought you all were professionals, but here we are. All right. I need prep time. (laughs) There need to be multiple choice. (laughs) All right. right. Uh, The new year is approaching. Uh, We will be in 2022 by the time you hear this. Um, I, I... I'm confident that both of you are going to be laying low on New Year's Eve and not, not ragers, not, not have, not having a day with Omicron. If you can, we will that. not, we will not be going anywhere. All right, good, good. I'll be watching well, fish, fish live webcast for free. Oh, nice. Just like They're not, they, they canceled their New Year's Eve Madison square garden shows. 
for free, you squeaker, Mr. Sid. Oh, I'll be checking that out on the YouTube. Uh, Mr. Krabs, do the kids do the kids beat pots and pans out front? Do they go outside and do little little pots and pans? That's what we used to do back. Then. You think my kids stay up till midnight? And that would be a big a big no. You don't you, really? No, no way. Okay. No way. Right. It just—I I mean, they would love to. It just the next day is just unbearable. Really, the, pr- the pros don't outweigh the cons. <laughs> A lot of cons. I—I <laughs> I think I remember staying up until midnight when I was probably seven or eight. What about you, Mister yeah, Sids? Probably. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I was allowed to until like maybe I was ten or eleven. I would think. I feel like I okay. wasn't allowed to. Robbie's from the latchkey generation. Okay, that's true. That's true. There, there were that's not true. many. There were not many rules in the seventies <laughs> at all. There were, it was kind of like you know, do the do the best you can. It was awesome. free, free range child. Oh, it was it was fantastic. Um, <laughs> but but Generation X is kind of compromised because of it. Um, all right, as always, uh, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational ser- media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. You can find us at Ed's Not Dead PC on Twitter or check out the website, edsnotdead.com. Um, welcome to 2022, everyone. Uh, spread the word about the pod and keep the questions coming for the next mailbag episode we really appreciate it for casey and peter fellas happy new year happy new year take care